Hey Dragons, welcome to episode 52 of the podcast. This episode is with Neil Halford. He is a game designer, film producer, all-around amazing geek who has a lot of great stuff. Um, I can't even get into all the stuff we talked about on the podcast, um, but that's why you're here. You're here to listen to us talk about it. Um, go ahead and check it out. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Again, all the links to Everything that Neil and I speak about is, uh, all those links are on the show notes, so check that out. And, um, as usual, just simple request, if you could tell two or three people about the podcast, if you think they'd be into it, I would really appreciate it. Word of mouth is really the best way to spread the love and show me that you care. <laughs> Anyways... Last but certainly not least, um, one of my favorite guests, as well as friend, Russ Emanuel, has a Indiegogo up for, they're doing some post-shoots for his new movie, The Assassin's Apprentice, so I will include links to that in the show notes as well. Please, if you can uh, give 5, 10, 15 bucks, please do so. If you can't, I completely understand. And other than that, enjoy the show. We'll talk to you soon. Work out, nerd out. In the basement, rolling dice, rolling dice. I'm always a wizard. When we play, we do it right. Candles flicker, fighting dragons in my mind, in my mind. Just for kicks. DM says you're gonna die. Roll a D6. Alright, welcome back, Dragons, to another episode of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. I am joined today by game designer, writer, film producer, Neil Hulford. How are you? Did I pronounce the last name correctly? You did. Whenever I interview people, almost everybody fumbles it, so that's wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Victory in the morning. Um, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. I'm I'm enjoying the fact that we've actually had some rain here. I understand you're in Los Angeles, and so uh, uh, it's actually been nice to have a little bit. You got hit a little bit harder than we did down here in San Diego. Yes, <laughs> yes, we did. Um, in fact, we were extremely lucky because pretty much every grid except ours around us lost power. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Well, we, we, di we didn't get it quite that bad down here, but I, I was actually just glad to get some uh, some rain down here because we've we've got this gigantic reservoir that's across uh, from where we live. And for the past couple of years, we've just been watching it vanishing and vanishing and vanishing. And over the past month or two, with, with the rains that we've been getting, it's been wasp, uh, nice actually watching it come back up again, which is nice. Yes. And, I mean, I know the rain has kind of been a pain a little bit, but California needed it. Yes, absolutely it did. It absolutely did. Now, I was super excited to get in contact with you. I think we actually got in contact uh, via Twitter, which is pretty much how the world works these days. Yes. <laughs> um, and I've really been getting into RPGs and more gaming, and so that's kind of how we connected. Mm -hmm. But if you wouldn't mind telling the people who may not know who you are a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I am a, a person of many hats, uh, but I, I am a geek both by, by avocation and also vocation. Uh, I've been, um, I, I was a geek from very early on, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of it. I had, whenever I was, uh, I think I was about 
11 years old, I had a pet rooster named Spock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so Trekkie from, from, uh, way, way back. And, uh, then, uh, got into interested in computer games whenever I was in high school. Uh, there was a movie that came out when I was a kid called War Games. And I decided that I wanted to be, uh, the character, uh, who had, had Ali Sheedy as a girlfriend. And he was a, he almost started World War III because he was trying to find out about computer games. It's kind of a convoluted plot if you've never seen it before. Uh, and, um, then uh, a buddy of mine who was an artist contacted me at one point, and he'd gotten to work uh, for a computer game company as, a, as an illustrator and asked me if I would be interested in coming to work for them to be a writer. And so that's what I've actually been doing for the past 27 years now uh, is working as a game designer. Um, and in addition to all of that is about seven years ago, uh, my wife and I both got into the independent film uh, community and have been working on various projects. We had one uh, called The Case of Evil that uh, uh, did a film festival tour uh, back in 2015, and we did pretty well. We hit 20, or 39 film festivals and won a handful of awards, and we're real proud of that. And I'm currently working on a documentary uh, about a Star Trek convention that went horrifically wrong called The Con of Wrath. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, uh, anyway, so, so I, I'm kind of geeky in almost every direction that you can imagine. <laughs> wow. So can you, can you give me a little bit of, uh, more of a taste of the con of wrath? Um, yes. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, a little bit of a story about it is, is that a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Larry Nemechek, uh, who folks might, m- might be a name that some folks recognize simply because, uh, for years and years, he was the editor of, of Star Trek Communicator, um, uh, which was the big magazine, the Star Trek magazine for years and years. Uh, he was the writer on um, uh, the Star Trek, uh, uh, the Next Generation Companion, which was the episode guide. Um, but uh, Larry and I actually go way back to whenever I was at the University of Oklahoma, and he was. We were all in the same uh, Star Trek uh, club in Oklahoma City, and uh, anyway, if you. But I, I, we're looking. I'm knocking on six years now. Larry called me up and said, "Hey, I'm I'm working on this on this. Uh, think about doing this documentary, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in coming in with me uh, as a director of photography and a, a producer on this." And so, the story, the, the kind of the quick story behind it is, is that in uh, 1982, uh, this is two weeks after the release of the Con of Wrath, Star Trek II. Uh, a bunch of guys down in Houston had decided that they were going to hold a convention that was like unlike anything that's ever that had ever been done up to that point. And so it wasn't just going to be bring in the stars and, and give them a microphone and let them talk for an hour like most conventions. Is They decided they wanted to do this spectacular. So they were going to have them come out on uh, to uh, on, onto a stage. Uh, and do a kind of talk show with host being uh, uh, Carrie O'Quinn from Starlog magazine. And, but in addition to this, they also wanted to do a one-act play that Walter Koenig had written. Uh, they wanted to have Nichelle Nichols come out and do a musical set and sing. They were going to bring in a live uh, orchestra to play the, uh, the music from The Wrath of Khan. Uh, in addition, they were going to have this huge, uh, uh, weather balloon with an image of the earth hanging above it. Uh, pretty much, I, I kind of describe it as Star Trek on ice. Uh, 
<laughs> oh goodness! Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it was it's just the idea was supposed to be this gigantic spectacular that they were trying to put on, um, and of course, as you might imagine, this is being put on by a bunch of guys who are in their early twenties uh, that they had had helped. Uh, some of them had helped uh, work on rock concerts and things like that, so they weren't completely unfamiliar with the things, the way things worked. But it, it got a little bit out of hand, uh, and so. It melted down rather spectacularly, but uh, when everything looked like uh, everything was going to go south and that wasn't going to happen, uh, the fans and the stars and the people who were the dealers all kind of chipped to get, uh, chipped in together and and were able to still pull this off and make it happen. And uh, you know, it, it's just kind of funny because we had I, I went into this story originally with this idea that. Uh, the stories that I had been told originally, it sounded like there had been somebody who had like taken, stolen all the money and run off to Mexico. Uh, and so I thought that was the kind of story we were telling is about this sort of ripoff that had happened. And then as we got into the story, because we've made multiple trips down to Houston, which is where, where this uh, took place, uh, we'd made multiple trips down there to talk to the convention committee and everything else. And what we figured out was, is that there was, this wasn't a case of somebody running off. And running off with all, all the money, excuse me. This was just something that got out of control. And, and the thing about it is I love these guys. I, I've, these people have now become really good friends of, of ours because, uh, I love the ambition. I love the, the, the bunch of these Star Trek fans who have this, this gigantic hope about what they're going to do, not only with this show, because the, the idea was is that this was going to be a traveling show. That was going to go on from Houston. So they had appointments in Chicago and Tokyo and like a half dozen other places that they were working on. Um, and so the plan was that they were going to do this, this international tour with, with this, uh, convention, which the, uh, the name of the event was the ultimate fantasy, which was an add on event to Houston con 82. Um, and so, um, anyway. That's sort of the the nutshell of of, of that particular thing. Um, uh, I'll try to uh, come up with a a URL because we have a a teaser trailer for uh, the documentary that we showed at Comic Con this last Comic Con in here in San Diego. Oh, excellent! And of course, um, as all my listeners know, any and all links will be included in the show notes, so they can go over to the show notes page of the podcast and click on over to to where they can find this. And I am glad that there was a happy ending. Kind of, they managed to pull it off. Yeah, well, it, it uh, they, they managed to pull everything off. I mean, the the hard part was is that. Um, a lot of people poured everything they had into the show. Um, the, the hardest part was, is, is that of course this involved, uh, renting the Houston, uh, Astrodome, uh, for, uh, for three, or, uh, it was the, the arena for the, that the, uh, uh, that the Houston Rockets played in. And so they had arranged to, to rent this for three nights, believing that they were going to fill, this 16,000 seat arena for three nights. Um, wow. and so, you know, and of course the thing about it is that's the love of track. <laughs> you know, yeah. you get, you get these people who says, well, obviously they're going to be other people. They're going to want to do this. And, and to be, to be fair, nothing like this had ever been attempted before. Uh, it, it's, it's on a scale far beyond anything that happened because this was, 
the only other time before this that the entire cast had ever been assembled had been at a New York um, had been one of the New York uh, science uh, Star Trek conventions. I can't remember what year that was. Larry could tell you because Larry has all these facts in his head because he's a human computer. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, he, that, there's a reason they call him Dr. Trek. Oh, uh, one other kind of interesting side kind of uh, jaunt there. If any of you have watched Star Trek Continues, uh, he was Dr. Uh, McCoy in a couple of the episodes of Star Trek Continues. Okay. Excellent. Uh, the, the, the online fan film um, series. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, uh, but but they, they were going to try to fill this arena for three nights, and it did not work out that way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, uh, because Filling a sixteen thousand seat anything is difficult. Yes, yes. Uh, short of uh, short of being Led Zeppelin or or whatever for the for the time, uh, it was crazily ambitious. And and uh, God love them. I love that they thought they could do it. <laughs> you know, right? Uh, that's and, that's definitely uh, uh, putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah, and and thing about it is is some of these people put up their life savings i mean uh marriages were ended over this uh oh, wow a couple of people uh a, a couple of people went bankrupt it was uh it was really hurt i mean the what happened to the con committee regardless of whatever happened to the fans and everything else when uh, everything else was going on uh what happened to that con committee and the things that they went through it at times it's heartbreaking because even though we're coming in as a film crew, and, and part of the reason that Larry even knew about this is he was one of the attendees at this event. Uh, this was his very first road trip convention he'd ever gone to. Oh, wow. um, and so uh, uh, I, I knew about it because I, I'd seen the ads for it, uh, but I was a couple of years too young uh, for, for me to go down and, and do that. But uh, when you talk, go back and you talk to these folks, uh, for them it happened yesterday. It is so vivid in what happened in their memories. And so and, and for them, it's a mixture of happy memories. It's this crazy thing that they tried to do. And to a degree, they pulled it off. Uh, but the flip side of the coin is all the things that these people went through um, and having this huge dream of they were they weren't just doing the show. They were launching a business as far as they were concerned. And again, they're pouring their 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 money and their time and all their effort into this and have it blow up in such a spectacular way in front of their faces. Uh, you still see that on their faces 30 years after. And by the way, this is the 30th anniversary. So we're hoping, uh, uh, 30th anniversary of Wrath of Khan and also of, of, um, um, uh, also of this convention. And so we're hoping to have the convention, uh, edited and out hopefully this year. Um, Larry and I are supposed to be arranging for a shoot sometime, hopefully this week or next week, to, to actually finish up the last few interviews uh, associated. But we'll be doing that um, uh, actually up in L.A. <clears throat> Excellent. Um, well, when you're up here, if you want to grab a bite or a drink, I would love to take you out. Um, and that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, we can work that out off the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um so I, to be honest, I've never been a big Star Trek guy. I appreciate, I can definitely see how, why other people are so into it. And I appreciate what it has done for fandom in general. It definitely has given people uh, permission in a way 
to be so in love with the other things people are in love with. Right. I'm from a person who's never really watched the TV show. I've seen a couple of the movies. I, I, I've only really seen the new JJ Abrams movies. The way you talk about this documentary in this film, uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to it. And this might be the, uh, the catalyst that gets me into star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing it when it finally does come out. Well, so am I. Because <laughs> we, we, we've been filming for six years now. And so uh, I, I thought maybe we were going to work on it for maybe two. Uh, but it was just one of the issues of, of course, this is, you know, we're, we're doing this as indie as you can possibly get. And so uh, uh, begging and borrowing, you know, uh, we have a buddy of ours who works for one of the airlines. And so every so often he's able to get us a couple of more plane passes so we can fly down and spend a couple of more days in Houston or going wherever we need to go to get uh, to various interviews. And so uh, we've so far been to, some, some of the people that we've interviewed um, that at least some of the uh, 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 other other of your listeners might recognize is obviously uh, uh, Nichelle Nichols, who of course was your uh, uh, Walter Koenig, who was uh, was Chekhov, and George Takei, who everybody these days knows George Takei is, uh, uh, Mr. Sulu, uh, and also Harv Bennett, who is the executive producer uh, of of the movie as uh, and actually the original movie series with Shatner and crew. Uh, Harv was was the producer, I think, uh, most, if not all of those. Um, and so as well as fans and the, and the convention committee. So I, I think that that even if you are not a star, a fan of Star Trek, I think the the one thing about the story is this is a story about what fandom can do whenever it particularly when it pulls together and you see sort of how all that love and passion translates. It's 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 going to be a really awesome story i think for a lot of people because you know uh you cannot help but love these people when you listen to how much that they put into it and their aspirations and your heart breaks when you hear about what goes wrong and then you have this kind of big swell of of love for these people again because whenever you find out about how all the fans got together and and pulled everything together and so so it's it's a great story and this is in the days before You know, it was 1982, so it was the days before Kickstarter. You couldn't just say, hey, we need a little bit of extra funding, help us out. Yeah. Um, So I think that's really incredible. And it's definitely, from what it sounds like, it's going to be a story of, you know, everything that can go wrong will go wrong, and you just got to keep moving forward. Yes, and and it, we we always all, we kind of pitch it as the little convention that could, uh, you know, um, and so uh, anyway, uh, I'm hoping that we'll have uh, later on down the road uh, we can give you a, a release date on it. But uh, right now, it's currently we, we've it's currently being edited, um, and uh, uh, so far uh, so so far so good. I'm 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 really looking forward to people uh, getting a chance to see this later on this year. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And we will, of course, keep all of our listeners apprised with those details. Uh, my next question for you is, aside from Star Trek, uh, what is another of your favorite areas of nerdiness? <laughs> well, uh, again, I I took a... Uh, I am a, a... Of course, Star Trek is sort of uh, something that opened a door for me to larger world of fandom. Um and I, because I had been a Star Trek fan, 
I later got into reading Heinlein and Bradbury and all of those those sort of classic science fiction authors and very interested in writing as a result of that. And that's when everybody thinks of, of me, the first thing that most people think about me, whether I'm talking about uh, computer games or working on films or everything else, is I am first and foremost, uh, foremost a storyteller and then everything else sort of after that. Uh, but... Um, uh, of course, I've, I've been working in the computer gaming industry for, uh, for uh, like I said, 27 years. Um, and for, for the vast majority of that, um, I, I've served primarily, you know, I've, I've been a lead designer, but, but what I'm best known for are, are role-playing games with very strong stories uh, as part of them. Um, and so uh, it's just something that I really enjoy doing. I love telling stories about places that don't exist and <laughs> uh um and exploring you know sort of the boundaries of of what if what if we take this one idea that uh we're we're, we're familiar with and we take a step to the left or the right what happens and i start knocking down dominoes um and seeing where those things lead um so uh I, i'm very much a fan of of uh strong storytelling uh whether it's books or uh, or games or, or movies and that sort of thing, so I'm I'm an avid reader. Our house is uh, that I, my wife and I have is sort of like Alexandria. It's mostly books <laughs> <laughs> with some food in it um, um, and a, and a big television set. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm I don't know if that I answered that question. I'm just sort of walking around it. But computer games uh, obviously isn't a big part of my life because uh, I'm still uh, still in that industry. I'm currently doing um, some work for a game uh, for a new project um, for a game company called Nexon. Um, it's not an announced title, so I can't really tell you a whole lot about it uh, other than I safe to say that it is fantasy oriented. Okay. <laughs> uh, and um, um, then uh, additionally to that, um, I have some buddies of mine that live up in Canada, and they uh, have a company called One More Story Games. And they uh, last year they acquired a license uh, from Charlene Harris, who most of your audience might know because that's the author who uh, wrote the books that True Blood from HBO was based on. Yeah, uh, that's that. I that sounded familiar and I was like wait a minute I know what what do I know her from <laughs> yes and so that's that's why why most people would have heard of Charlene Harrison so she had another uh, set of books uh, called the uh, the Lily Bard series which is about a uh, uh, sort of a not necessarily a private investigator but someone who gets involved with a series of, of mysteries uh, set in a small town in Arkansas called Shakespeare and uh, so uh, we're going to be adapting those books uh, into a uh, a game series, and so <clears throat> we're starting work on on those probably in the next few weeks. Uh, so I'm working with them, um, and so that's that's sort of all of the uh, the game stuff I'm doing now. Um, in terms of stuff that people might know of, uh, know about me from the past is uh, there was a game that I did. Um, several years ago called Betrayal at Crondor. And this is the game that I still get emails about uh, 
I, I get probably five or ten, ten letters a week from people who still say, I love Betrayal at Condor. It's the greatest thing that ever happened, blah, 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 which blows my mind because some of these people are going, you weren't even born when this game came out. How do you, <laughs> know, how do you even know he exists? And, of course, there are sites like Good Old Games that, of course, sell uh, sell some of these old games that are no longer really available in any other way. Um, so if, if, if you are an af- aficionado of uh, older games uh, and you want to find a, a place to, to get legit copies, go to, to Good Old Games. I, I really recommend them. Um, you're starting to ask a question. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blathering on, so just go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. It's, it's, I'm, I'm so intrigued in what you have to say. Uh, there's so much that I want to that I want to ask you with the with the game based on the Charlene Harris novels. Is that going to be like more of a mystery or like kind of like um, a, t- a Telltale Games episodic game? Can you talk about it at all, or is it just um, kind of still up in the air? If, uh, well, it it will definitely be a mystery. Um, the one thing with one more story games is again their their emphasis really is on on uh, t- uh, titles as you might guess from the name of the game company is they're really looking for for heavily story driven uh, experiences so it's not going to be like Halo <laughs> okay <laughs> no um, uh, and so the the great thing they have an, an engine called Story Stylus which uh, is a really cool tool that will allow people who are writers to kind of create interactive experiences and so. It's uh, it's going to be something closer to sort of like an interactive novel uh, than it would be if you're going in looking for something that is, uh, like I say, an, an action-adventure, blow-em-up kind of thing. This is definitely about you find the clues, follow the clues, you know, uh, interrogate wit- witnesses and this sort of thing, and, and you uh, kind of peeling back the, the layers of the onion. Uh, and, and, and so you get to be the investigator and find out what's, what's going on. And so... So it's sort of oh, that that approach to things. The classic game that this is bringing up in my mind is a little bit like Mist. Yes, I love I love Mist, um, and I, I really I really hope that we can can create something uh, that is sort of like that. But yeah, Mist was uh, uh, is a wonderful example, uh, and of course, even going back even further, if you're familiar with any of the old text based games like uh, uh, Zork or Adventure or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, if you if if you ever get a chance, you can find online the simulator. Uh, there's one for adventure, which Zork is kind of a a take on. Um, it's it's one of those things that particularly I know it would be difficult for people I think who have grown up with fully graphical interfaces to quite appreciate it as much. Uh, but the beautiful thing about some of these text based adventures is that. It's amazing how quickly you kind of get sucked into the narrative. It is it's kind of like playing an interactive book. Um, and a little bit like if you took the old, do you, uh, do you remember, uh, or have you ever seen the choose your old adventure books? Yes. So it's kind of like a choose your own adventure, uh, uh, but you get to a point where say there's something like a combat. And so you would literally have a combat, uh, where you're having to fight through. So it's not just, you know, if you just, if you slash the monster, go to page 24, there's, there's a little bit more involved with that. Uh, but anyway, uh, what, uh, I think the, probably the closest, um, the closest thing to what One More Story is, is currently doing is kind of like, uh, the old Sierra Online, uh, adventure games. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Uh, and so, uh, so it has a feel sort of along those lines where it's a kind of a hybrid between being a text game and also being a point and click, you know, a click on objects, uh, range things kind of stuff. And so that's, that's what we're going to be shooting for, for, uh, Charlene's book. Um, it, it definitely sounds interesting. And again, you've piqued my interest in things that I normally don't think I, I would discover on my own. So if you need a beta testing guinea pig, I'm your guy. <laughs> All right. I, I will make sure that, <laughs> that a copy of that gets into your, your hands. Um, what, what is one thing that you enjoy or are into that Somebody based on this conversation might find surprising. We're talking a lot about video games, books. Is there anything else that someone would be like completely out of left field? That's really hard to say for me. Um, um, because, um, surprising. So what is the weird, the, what, um, well, one thing that is something that I, that is completely not left field from this, but is something that is not really non-geeky is that, um, my, uh, my wife uh, and I have been avid, uh, supporters of the American Cancer Society, uh, for a number of years. My wife is a three-time cancer survivor. And so, uh, we do a lot of volunteer work for them, have for uh, several years. Um, and so we do, uh, we've, uh, we, uh, support the Making Strides walk that's here in San Diego. And we, uh, have actually shot some commercials and some other things for, for them. And so that's something that we're really passionate about. So that's, that's not, uh, not, uh, really a hobby per se. Uh, but, uh, that's something that we're into and, and not, not something that's really geeky or what have you, but uh, I'm just kind of digging for something because most of my entrants are kind of geeky. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I just want to say, um, thank you for, for doing that and bringing that up. And I will include, um, a link to making strides on the show notes page and just everyone, if you're out there, now is the time. Give what you can. If you can't give anything, or if if there's another charity that you would support, um, especially with how um, this year's been going, I know a lot of nonprofit organizations need your help. Um, if you don't have the funds, maybe you've got time. So everyone out there listening, um, you can always give something, no matter how small you think it is, I promise you it will make a world of difference to somebody. And if if I might be allowed here, uh, I would like to also throw in here, since I know that you also have kind of a health thing that you, you have with your show here, um, yes. I just do want to point out is is even beyond the money, uh, the money, um, what, something that you, important that you need to do, do for yourself or whatever is, is that uh, breast cancer strikes one in eight women. Uh, in sometime during their lifetime, uh, and uh, so that's you or or your sister or your mom or somebody you know, um, and I, I'm sure that that's not a mystery to to any of you because almost anyone listening to this this uh, podcast can probably think of somebody they know that's been affected by breast cancer. Um, the uh, American Cancer Society has done a lot to uh, to support the research uh, that's going into extending lives uh, over the course of just the time that Jane and I have been married over the past 20 years. Uh, there's been a dramatic uh, improvement in in survival, uh, and we're getting closer and closer to to finding a cure. Um, 
But uh, so uh, so the important thing is, is that make sure that if you are of an age, uh, get your mammograms uh, because early detection is is a very big factor in survival. The earlier find the earlier you find it the more likely that you're going to be able to survive it. And uh, self-detection is important. If you don't know uh, know how to do that, talk to your doctor. They will help you out with there. And so that's sort of end of spiel. <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, aside from the money, just, you know, uh, taking care of yourself. Oh, oh, also one last thing is if you have somebody who uh, – who is currently either dealing with cancer or you have someone who is a support to someone who is dealing with with uh, with cancer because a lot of people don't necessarily think about the caregivers who go through a lot. Um, if you need help, you're looking for resources in terms of I need help getting my loved one to uh, getting my loved one to a, a treatments or what have you. Call the American Cancer Society. Uh, they have support. They'll help you find people that can get you rides and that can provide other services uh, to you. And so uh, American Cancer Society, and I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, and I think that is the perfect uh, one thing that you're into that others might find surprising. So that was a perfect answer to that question. Um, now to lighten lighten it up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, any superpower. Uh, I think my superpower would be to, uh, travel back through time. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Would you, would you be able to travel forward through time? Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Cause, cause like, no, you no. just keep going back and back and back. What do you do? And, and then I go back to the, past the the Big Bang, and then I'm I'm just atoms. Um, no, uh, but no, <laughs> so the ability let's say the ability to travel through time. We'll just leave it at that. So, <laughs> okay, why why time travel? Is there a certain uh, era that you would like to visit? Um, what's the thing? Is I'm interested in so many different eras of time. You know, um, uh, of course, uh, being that I'm a you know, role-playing nerd. You know, I want to go back to the Middle Ages. I want to see classic Rome and, and Greece. Uh, uh, see China uh, uh, d- during the during its own medieval period. A period, and and um, uh, I, I just think it would be fascinating. Of course, I, I'm a huge uh, fan of of things Victorian and steampunk. So going back to London and see what London was really like. Of course, the reality of of all of this stuff is that. Okay, yeah, there's no flush toilets. Uh, a pub, <laughs> a, a, a public hygiene is kind of an issue. Death is pretty rampant uh, from all causes. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes when people get you know romantic about past eras, I said, okay, well, let's be realistic about what this would really be like. We, we, we write all of these fanciful novels about the way things would be and, and how awesome and wonderful it would be. Go, no. Yeah. <laughs> It would be dreadful, but but for me, it's just curiosity. I just like to see what it would be like. You know, what was it actually like to to be walking down a, a street in in uh, in Rome at the height of of Caesar's reign? What was that like? You know, uh, uh, what were the sounds and smells and, and everything else? And so for me, it's just curiosity, um, and um, uh, because there's just so many fascinating things that that have happened um, that that would be fun to witness with my own eyes. Oh, absolutely! One of my one of my uh, favorite times is I would love to see Pompeii in its heyday. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. like far, far away from Volcano Day? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to actually be there as the top of it comes off? And... No, no, not, not, not my thing. Not, not so much? <laughs> not my cup of tea. No. <laughs> so uh, one, one question I have for you is we're talking about storytelling and, and, you know, video game RPGs. Were you like a Dungeons and Dragons guy? Do you table? You do you manage to have time to do that now, or not so much? It didn't really play into to your childhood through adulthood. Well, I'll tell you a little story. <laughs> um, so, um, whenever I was growing up, um, I have a very profound memory of having to go uh, to go down to there's a little town uh, where my dad grew up called Stillwell, Oklahoma. And we go down there to visit one of my uncles. And one time uh, or, or a lot of times we go down there and my cousin had a Atari 2600 in his room. Woohoo! Pong. <laughs> um and uh, so whenever we go down to my visit, uh, my, my uncle, a lot of times I'd go back into my cousin's room and I'd play Pong. So uh, one time I'm there and I'm messing around with it. And a buddy of mine that actually lived there in, St- in Stillwell uh, came over and he says, hey, I've discovered this really cool game that I want to show you. And he pulls out this white box. And so he starts pulling stuff out of it and he's trying to explain to me, this is, you know, this is the white box, the first boxed edition of of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and he's trying to explain to me how this thing works. And I'm just tr- really, really trying to wrap my head around this because, you know, before this, uh, you know, you're, there's the game of life and there's chess and there's all this other stuff. And even though there, you could have little figure, uh, figurines uh, associated with such things, uh, which you, back in the day, there weren't Dungeons and Dragons specific figurines. You borrowed them from, uh, tabletop wargaming, uh, yeah. uh, stuff. And so there's, so I'm going to tell, I'll tell you where you're at and then you tell me what you're going to do. And this was so crazily abstract to me <laughs> at the time, um, that I had a hard time wrapping my head around it, but then we started playing into it and then I really seriously got into it. Um, and of course I had a, a Dungeons and Dragons uh, uh, group that that I played with uh, coming up, um, and I had a <laughs> I, I had a DM that was not always the most patient person in the world because, as far as he was concerned, you there was nothing more important that you had to do than DM Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, and of course, the thing about it was, is this guy was a genius. Uh, uh, he he. Um, I still think he's one of the smartest guys I've ever known because he would be running calculus, uh, equations in his head and he was just astonishing. But, but he would create his campaigns and far be it for you if it's the middle of the summer and you had to miss one, one, uh, session or something because, uh, it would really tick him off, uh, that, that you had something else other to do other than this. But so one time I can't remember. Uh, there had been a situation where the previous game, uh, there were two or three of us that, that for various reasons had not been able to attend. And so we show up and, uh, then there's, there's one or two people that are, aren't able to attend. And so rather than the five or six of us that were usually around the table, there were like three or four of us. And he just 
goes off the deep end. And so this is now DM is vengeful God. <laughs> <laughs> and we ran through a campaign and we were all high level characters. Uh, this is this by, by this point, it's, you know, a D and D at this point. Um, and we're, we're in this dungeon. He throws everything at us, everything at us. And so, uh, we're crawling. So we survive the horrors of the dungeon. We get out alive somehow. And so we're crawling back and like, like, uh, there's like two, a couple of characters that are dead. And so we're dragging their bodies back down. <laughs> you look know, at the, the classic dragging bodies. Uh, so we can resurrect them. Um, and so, uh, all of our, all of her, our, our armor's completely gone. Just, there's no armor left. Um, and at one point, uh, they, we decide to camp and while we're sleeping, we get attacked by squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> and it kills the whole party. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, so, uh, I talk about our high level party all being wiped out by squirrels. Oh, uh, the, the, po- <laughs> the poor demise by the hands of squirrels. <laughs> oh, yes. And so, um, so, but the thing about D and D that, uh, that I, I was after a while, I kind of got tired of because, and I know this is different for with different groups because each, each DM or each D, uh, Dungeons and Dragons group has a different DM with a different personality and the kinds of games they type to type, uh, try, tend to run. And unfortunately our DM tended to be, to take the, the name of the game rather literally. There are just lots of dungeons and lots of dragons. Yeah. Um, and uh, I discovered a game um, called Call of Cthulhu, which oh. became my all-time, and it's still my all-time favorite role-playing system ever. Uh, because, of course, for, for someone like myself, who is a you know big on storytelling, uh, I, it, I was just really sucked into this. And, of course, I was already, by the time I discovered the game, I was already reading Lovecraft's fiction, uh, and so having discovered this awesome game set in, in his universe, I just got sucked into it and I instantly fell in love with it because number one, it wasn't like I'm playing the game and I keep on becoming more and more godlike to the point where it's just ridiculous is that you don't get any tougher. And in, in a lot of cases, the longer the play, the worse off you are because you're uh, the more experienced your character is the more likely that they're just going to go insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so a game where, where you have sanity points <laughs> um, and uh, it was a much more streamlined system. Cause the one of the things I, I kind of hated about D and uh, D is the, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and suddenly you get into a rules battle. And I, I kind of joke about it and says, OK, I, uh, uh, in order to resolve this, we need to check the the uh, half elf drops a lantern in a stairwell table. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, because it just back in the day, it was very everything had was there was, it seems like there was a table for everything and. Uh, it was very rules driven and Call of Cthulhu was a little looser with things. It basically said, you're smart between you and the players. You can resolve a something that makes sense. And you had the resistance table and you had the skills and that was basically about it. Um, and so it, that particular, uh, the, the Chaosium titles, of course, 
a Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest were essentially the same system with some uh, some minor variations between the two of them to, to kind of tailor to their kind of universes and what they were shooting for. Uh, but I really loved that system, and it actually was a huge influence on the first uh, several uh, role-playing titles I developed as computer games is I was heavily influenced by uh, what the the titles from Chaosium because that was Chaosium was Sandy Peterson and and uh, Greg Stafford and a few other folks that that uh, uh, were all in charge of, of Chaosium. So uh, and then they later on they did an Elric game which also used the same system and I, I just loved all of them and they and I still my all-time favorite role-playing system now. Oh, very cool. I I will I've said this on the podcast before, but I A, thank you so much for sharing uh, the great squirrel story. That's brilliant. <laughs> um but I actually just got into tabletop um uh probably a few months, maybe a year ago, uh-huh. and I just started actually playing for the first time a few weeks ago with some buddies. Uh-huh. But we're playing this crazy game called Kingdom Death Monster. Okay. I love the name of it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was independently created, and it's like, if you try to get a complete set of the book and the cards and the figures, it's on Kickstarter for, like, four or five hundred bucks. Uh-huh. Like... And the universe is massive, so it's it's really kind of. <laughs> Apparently, I decided to jump into an Olympic-sized swimming pool into the deep end with no <laughs> with no floaties. So, uh, uh, so I, I think since you're saying it's on Kickstarter, this is a uh, this is a title that's still in in beta, or or what's no. what sort of. They they released one um, back in 2012, okay. And now they're raising they're raising funds for like version 1.5. Okay, so so uh, so this is ex- or basically an update or an expansion or, or what have you. Yes, and I'm actually on their Kickstarter right now. They have raised over 12 million dollars. That's amazing. I, that's that's the one thing that's actually it warms my heart because uh, if you go back even you know if you go back pre before Kickstarter really beca- became a thing, uh, I remember working in the game industry. Everybody was talking about uh, you know you know tabletop is dead, everything's going away, and you know everybody's just kind of being sad and depressed because even though there are a lot of us that are, you know, uh, computer gamer people, you know, we, most of us came out of a tabletop experience and there's a lot of stuff that still, there are certain things about a tabletop experience you just cannot beat or equal or, or, or simulate in a computer gaming environment, no matter how hard you try. There's just, there is that aspect of, of a handful of people sitting around a table and just enjoying each other's, you know, being in their company and everything else that, that it's, you can't really replicate that on a computer. Um, I totally agree, and what I'm actually really excited about is I just purchased um, my first, it's not D&D and it's not Kingdom Death Monster, but my first book to start playing with um, my nephew as soon uh-huh. as he gets a little bit older. He's, uh-huh. he's three right now, so it's going to be a couple years, but it's uh, My Little Pony developed an RPG. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and and I'm I'm probably one of the biggest bronies there is. <laughs> um, I fully embrace it, <laughs> but it is. It's, it's so much fun and I'm just so excited because my nephew at three, he loves, he loves the ponies or as he calls it, the baby horsies, uh-huh. um, as much. And I just think this is a great way to get him into team building and, uh-huh. uh, teamwork and fantasy and using that creative part of your brain to tell really intricate, awesome stories. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing that I always tell people about role-playing games uh, is is the things that you've already kind of mentioned, and it's also just basic problem-solving, you know, uh, is that you, you – particularly whenever you have a, a DM that's, that's thinking this way is you give them really interesting, uh, you know, puzzles or other things that they have to solve, and so – it involves actually using, you know, that that you know mushy stuff between your ears, uh, <laughs> to work through. And I, I love that's sadly something that used to be present in computer games, which you see a lot less of. Is the puzzles that actually make make you think about what you're doing? You know, it's like, you know. Yes, there's the issue of how do I kill this guy that's up on that ledge and and I don't have a rocket launcher and you know okay yeah that's there that is one particular kind of 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 problem solving but I think there's a lot more interesting kind of things you can do there's a old game that I don't know if you've ever seen it or ever played it but this is an, another classic old uh game it's not an RPG it is literally a puzzle game um and of course Mist was was in that category but there was another one called Seventh Guest. I just yes, <laughs> I, I loved, loved that game. Yes, it was a classic, wonderful puzzle game, and I love, I, I love, you know, because I, uh, I miss titles that are like that because I remember nights where I would literally be sitting in front of a puzzle for uh, th- three or four hours and just beating my head on the table. Go, I cannot figure <laughs> this out. I cannot figure that. And then you have that aha moment and you finally realize of course i need to you know do x y or z and suddenly all the pieces fall into place and you do it and they're just you're hopping up and down and you're screaming and shouting and the beautiful thing about it is is that is that for all the difficulty you've gone through is that you you saw that puzzle and how smart you suddenly feel <laughs> you know for for having Having you know uh, figured out that particular puzzle, and I miss that experience because in in so many computer games today, that's absent. You don't have that sort of cathartic aha moment. You know, uh, sometimes you're, you're, there's the whole boss battle. You know, I figured out how to beat the boss battle, but but usually it's a lot. It just feels very different to me. It's like okay, I'm done with that now, and I can I can keep going. I can do the do the next thing. I'm, I don't really feel like the sort of enthusiastic. Oh my god, I beat the boss. You know, I don't know. Um, no, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. A lot of games nowadays don't really have that, that giant aha moment. What I will say was, uh, when I finally beat Legend of Zelda, uh, Arcana of Time. Uh huh. That was my, I kind of like, it's like 25 years old and I was jumping around my, <laughs> my, my condo at the time. Um. But speaking of Zelda, and this was such a crazy puzzle, in one of their 3DS versions of the game, uh-huh. there were, you had to pay very close attention, but there was like 
a series of like maybe four pixels on each screen of the Nintendo 3DS, the dual screen system. Uh-huh. And to solve the puzzle, you had to close the 3DS and reopen it. But oh. under no, there was no hints. It was just, which is so counterintuitive that you have to mess with the actual system instead of just doing things in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's not so much a puzzle as I, I'm a really lazy designer. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're calling it? Okay. Yeah, I like uh, it. Uh, that's just, I mean, with no, if there are no clues, there's nothing to kind of at least let you... To give you some indication, it's just like at some point he'll rant because, of course, I know the the thought from that. I'm I'm, I'm being meta meta here now. Going, okay, being the designer, what the hell am I thinking? And I'm going well. At some point, he's going to get get so frustrated with this puzzle, he's going to close the damn thing, and <laughs> and then he'll reopen it later on to try to figure figure it out. And bang, he's solved it or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of that, that's not really because a puzzle in suggest the idea that you have at least pieces to solve it with you know um uh, that's just kind of arbitrary that's just my own personal opinion um i could tend to agree i could agree mm, but um um and of course i know i know a lot of people's complaints about older games they said well you know some puzzles are are not so much about solving the puzzle they're, they're about figuring out what the hell the designer was trying to get you to do um <laughs> um <clears throat> And some and and some of that's true, um, but uh, uh, it all depends on the designer. Uh, I, I know that that for as much time as I made people uh, go through, particularly in one, one of my the first RPG that I was fully mine to design and work on was a game called Planet's Edge, uh, which is a science fiction role playing game, and. Um, that one, I know that that I spent probably three times as long designing the puzzles as people did solving them. <laughs> uh, uh, just because I, you know, was just trying as much as possible to first of all put on the, the player's hat and go, okay, what is the player seeing, experiencing? Don't assume that they know anything you know. Uh, and it's hard to get outside that box sometimes because one, it's like, well, I know what I intended to do. <laughs> um, that's fine, but unless unless you put you know, these clues and these things in front of them, they'll never figure it out. Um, and so at, at times I worried about things being obscure, but, but, uh, I was at new world computing and they were, uh, e even though I was new at it, my boss wasn't cause it was John Van Kanigam and, uh, the guys who'd done might and magic. Um, and so I had the benefit of having veterans who could kick me in the ass and said, Neil, be too, be, being too obscure. <laughs> uh, um, so stop this. You're confusing people. Yeah, you're, you're, he goes, you goes, you think you're being clever. You're just being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I definitely know that feeling and I could tell you a few different games where I'm just like, this is just it's like, I don't even enjoy this right now. It's not mm -hmm. making me want to play more. It's just making me want to throw this across the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing about it is is that there is that fine line between there's challenging people and then they're just pissing them off, you know, <laughs> and and so uh, uh, and it, it's a tough. Uh, I think that's that's one of the has always been one of the challenges is 
where do you draw that line and and uh in to some degree it has to do with what kind of player you're shooting for because there's some people who really want that experience of I'm completely stuck and I'm going to spend the next week researching this. And uh, then there are other people who uh, it, it, the hard part is, is designing for a modern audience. It would be very hard to do that because since that is not the norm anymore, uh, most people don't have the patience to do that anymore. If it took, takes longer than 10 or 15 minutes for people to do, a lot of people would just walk away from it. This is impossible. It can't be done. Um, or, the other flip side of the coin is that we, of course, we grew up in the age, or I, I grew up in the age in which there were not, you know, uh, the internet was not out there with here are all the solutions to every game that you've ever played. Uh, there were there were hint guides that were out there, which I always sort of looked at people askance if they were using hint books and just said, okay, you're not really a gamer. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it's say you figured this out, you know. Uh, uh, or on very occasion say, okay, I would buy the hint book, but it's going to be a case of, I just have absolutely no idea in the world how to do this. Uh, and I, I, I'm not going to be able to progress forward in the game until I get past this. And, uh, but, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a different, a different kind of way of looking at the world back then. Cause even whenever the internet stuff started to appear, appearing, I kept on going, uh, why are you putting this stuff out there? Because you're going to get some people that are just going to going to just sit there with it open and say, oh, now I do this once I get to here. You go, why is the game even worth playing if you're going to just use the hint book? <laughs> yes. Um, and it's, I, I, I assume for some people it's the completionist. They need 110% everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think... I've probably used my fair share of hint books. I hope that doesn't harm my game no. cred. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also like, I remember being 12 years old and just some of the games I was playing that my parents bought for me for some reason were just way beyond my cognitive capacity. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so it's like, at some point you just get so frustrated that I'm like, okay, I just need a hint. Yes. So I can move forward and actually finish this game that I've been playing for months. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that those are the ones I can appreciate because okay, some hit you know, some hint books were actually that just hints. They didn't just explicitly say, "Okay, go in the corner, turn around three times, you know, hop on one, on left foot, put X X, you know, square, you know," <laughs> and uh, but but again, I. I have I, I'm a complete hypocrite because I have in the past resorted to those things. Uh, the point the point like I say I, the my point was simply that it it drove me crazy whenever people were playing along and they would literally just they'd get to a puzzle and then they would open up the, the hint book and then they would just read that and they would they would do whatever it said and go on like that was just the process. They didn't want to think about it at all. <laughs> they didn't want to try. Yeah. Um, and and that's sort of what bothers me now. And so and, and of course a lot of, of game developers now says we don't want to bother with, with developing puzzles because uh, because of exactly that issue is people are just going to get a hint book or, or whatever. And so we spent you know uh, three weeks or a month working on this particular puzzle to implement it or what have you, and we wasted a lot of time for something they're going to blow through in ten seconds because they have a hint book. Um, and my argument uh, sort of is that okay, that's not going to work in a, ma uh, in a mac mass market game, but 
for the handful of people who are making indie games, there are still plenty of people who like, like and enjoy those kind of things. And so it's just a matter of you look for those indie developers say, you know what, I may have I may only have a hundred people who ever buy this game. I may only have a thousand or, or whatever or whatever, but that's plenty and big of an audience that I'm making something for people who enjoy this kind of experience. And so that's why I'm kind of I'm really interested and excited by indies these days because they have a, they aren't being driven by the same things that large mass market developers are being driven by. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think one of the things that um, I've talked about is just it's so there's so many resources for indie filmmakers, indie authors, indie game developers that. Yeah, a lot of them might not be worth it or up to par, but there's a lot of really good stuff out there. You just got to be willing to look for it. Yeah, and and that's the thing I, I think about, you know, because um, I, I know tons of people that you'll go look at some of these indie games and, you know, the graphics aren't particularly great or, or there'll be something that's kind of falling apart. But uh, the, what at the end of the day, it's about the gameplay, you know, um, uh, graphics. Uh, the, I think that the 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 one thing about all the awesome stuff that that you get with graphics today, it also is uh, a, a hindrance for some people because they say, you know what, I can come up with with great graphics, but I don't have a ten million dollar budget to start with, you know, um, and so I can't hire you know three hundred uh, three hundred people to come in and program and and do the art and and all this other stuff. Uh, and so, uh, my argument is go back and you look at some of those early games that were done. Those are still great games. They don't look particularly great, uh, or, or whatever, but the game, uh, but what made those enjoyable was the gameplay. And oh, yeah. so, so, uh, so on the one hand, the graphics can help kind of suck you into the experience and it's awesome to kind of see all this eye candy. But the flip side of the coin is, is that, that it can actually now be something that, that, keep some great games from being made simply because they go, well, if we don't spend, you know, this amount of money on it, um, then we're not going to, uh, then it's not going to be worth us to, to, to make it because we're not going to make back enough. And so you just kind of get in this, this little pocket of great games that can't be made because, uh, we have to make $10 billion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, it, it's the tent pole problem. So, yeah. Well, and it's, it's, I think that if a game has great gameplay and replayability, you don't need, like you're saying, you don't need the great graphics. I mean, how many times have we gone back and played Super Mario Brothers 3? Uh huh. Super mm -hmm. Mario Brothers 2, or, you know, even some of the old Super Nintendo games. Yeah. Uh, Don Donkey Kong Country is mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, you, there, there is no, amazing great graphics there's just great gameplay underneath all of it all yeah and and it the one thing that actually warms my heart is that right now there is a big retro thing going on right now a lot of people that are getting interested in in doing 8-bit graphics and some other stuff like that and not that it's a superior anyway but but sometimes say don't let you know these chunky graphics get in the way of the fact that this is just fun to play with um and, uh, and, and again, like I say, I, when I get these teenagers that, that write me about Betrayal at Crondor or one of my other, uh, other old games, and at first I'm just kind of floored by, 
wow, you actually bothered to dig up this whole game. Um, but uh, it's it's wonderful to know that they can play those games and they still enjoy them, uh, even in the, knowing that other kinds of games that are out there. And so uh, I think that 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 tells you that 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 it's the gameplay that's the that's the important part. Um, so. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. Um, I have kept you. Oh my goodness, for uh, a little bit over an hour now. Um, <laughs> we've talked about the Con of Wrath. We've talked about some of the games you're working on. Is there anything else you have currently uh, going on, coming out soon, or did we kind of cover it all in the beginning? Uh, Well, something else that if people care to go check it out, um, uh, I'd mentioned a little bit earlier is that we had a short called uh, The Case of Evil, uh, which is if you have seen or enjoy the old universal horror films like, you know, the, uh, the original Dracula and Frankenstein and that sort of thing, uh, we made a short that was very much in that spirit. Um, and so we shot it in black and white, uh, and beyond the fact that, that it looks like an old film, it sounds like an old film, but also the acting style, we try to replicate the acting style and we shot it straight. It's, you know, a lot of people do retro stuff and they try to do parody. And we said, we want to shoot it as if we were a a B film unit shooting a a horror movie in the 1940s. Um, and so we, we uh, put that short out, uh, in 2014. And as I said before, we went on a film festival tour and then last year, uh, it went up on, um, on Amazon. <clears throat> so oh, very cool. if, if you want to check it out on Amazon, it's just look up the case of evil. Uh, and if you are an Amazon prime member, you can watch it for free. Uh, otherwise, oh, phenomenal. Uh, 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 otherwise, uh, it is, uh, you can rent it or you can buy it. And so, um, uh, but like I say, if you're, if you're Amazon for, uh, Prime member, you can watch that for free. Uh, and if you want to find out a little bit more about it, uh, just go to our website, thecaseofevil.com, and uh, we have a trailer there for it. Uh, plus, we have uh, uh, some behind the <clears throat> behind the scenes shots and some more information about it. Excellent, excellent. And I do think this is going to be a week or two before this episode goes up, so I will be sure to watch that uh, before this goes up and maybe include uh, some personal thoughts about that. Okay. Now, where can people – you mentioned the thecaseofevil.com. I'm going to include some of the show notes uh, in the show notes to some of your websites. Uh, where can people connect with you via social media? Okay, so get ready. <laughs> okay, so first of all, uh, probably the the prime uh, the prime social media thing that I use all, all the time uh, is obviously Facebook. So just Neil Halford, N E A L H A L L F O R D. So not Neil like the way that damned astronaut ruined my life over. Um, um, so uh, anyway, Neil Halford on Facebook. I'm at Neilios on Twitter. So N E A L I I O S. Um, we have a website for our production company called swordsandcircuitry.com. Um, and you can check that out. It's a little behind, uh, uh, some, some of the, the information on it. We need to, uh, to badly need to update that. Uh, but, uh, you can at least see on, on the main page some of our, our, uh, our Twitter stuff. Uh, our Twitter feed for the production company is at swordscircuitry. Um, and then in addition to all of that, I have a blog that currently covers, uh, my game work, films, and other stuff. Uh, that's just neilhalford.com. Um, that's pretty much just exclusively about my creative stuff. 
Uh, obviously, my Facebook page is, is the stuff I'm working on, but also just weird stuff I'm into. So science and and pictures of, of dogs and <laughs> and, <laughs> and all, all the random stuff you're used to seeing on, on Facebook. But if you just want purely the kind of creative stuff, you can go to neilhalford.com. Uh, and then the last thing is, is that because I am a independent uh, indie, basically indie everything, indie game developer, indie whatever, uh, I have a Patreon. So uh, just go to patreon.com slash Nelios. So once again, so N-E-A-L-I-I-O-S. Uh, and so that's my Patreon page. And so uh, what I have on the Patreon page is I have <clears throat> a lot of stuff that's exclusive that isn't available uh, elsewhere. So. Uh, you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. We have, uh, I have some, a some stuff that you haven't been able to see, uh, see uh, elsewhere. So there's some short stories. There are uh, the book proposal that we did for our book swords and circuitry. Uh, so if you have, if you need to see an example of what a, a pr- book proposal looks like for a book that's sold, uh, there's that. Uh, I have behind the scenes interviews with uh, some of the people from from the Con of Wrath. Uh, we have other cool material, and if you uh, if you join our Patreon uh, at the five dollar level or higher, uh, then I send you a link to the Case of Evil, and you can watch that as often as you want for free. Uh, Excellent. Uh, Excellent. And so, um, uh, so all all kinds of goodies that we have I have for for Patreon, uh, and so again, I have an ongoing series right now uh, called Crondor Confidential, which has been. <laughs> I just posted a part 14 yesterday. Uh, oh, wonderful. Which, which is the history of the making of Betrayal at Crondor because it, it is quite a ride. Uh, and uh, so uh, this is just kind of a breakdown of sort of, of the process of how uh, that project happened. So um, other than that, that that's pretty much uh, – oh, and uh, I have a YouTube channel on Vimeo. So look for Swords and Circuitry on Vimeo. And so there's some other stuff there. Excellent, excellent. I'll include links to all of that in the show <laughs> notes. Um, uh, so what parting advice do you have for everyone out there listening? Maybe they're thinking about developing their own game or wanting to get into the industry or just what advice do you have for them? Um, the parting advice that I would have for everyone, you know, particularly if you're going to go the indie route with anything, whether you're being a publisher, uh, uh, being, being a writer or being a game developer or a filmmaker is that, uh, make sure that you go out and you connect with, uh, with the community that, that's out there. Um, and, you know, look for other people because it's, it's really difficult when it, particularly when you're first getting started, whenever you think you're alone and you're just floundering and you don't know what, uh, what to do, uh, whether, uh, you know, if you look on, uh, uh, it's, I know it's hard, it's going to be harder for people that might be living in, not be living in Los Angeles or San Diego or a big city. So if you're a filmmaker, it's harder to find a community of people that are doing the same things. But maybe there is a, t- a town local to you where they have a group of people. Um, but if not, find online chat rooms and other places because the beautiful thing about it is, is that you will be astonished by how many people want to work with you and help with you even if you don't know anything you're you're get, just getting started because you're going to find somebody who will be a mentor for you uh or will will say that that if you are starting to work on a project when, this happened whenever we first started doing films here in San Diego is uh we used to have a me- uh, we have a meeting f- with uh, a group called San Diego filmmakers 
And they would always at the beginning of every meeting have people stand up and say, hi, I am so and so Uh, I am currently working on X and I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for a cinematographer or I'm looking for uh, a PA to hold microphones or or what have you. Uh, And the astonishing thing was that we discovered was that. Even whenever we were working on our first thing and we had no experience, it's a, hey, we're, we're thinking about doing a horror film and we're looking for people to help out, help out. And we had a dozen people throw themselves at us and basically say, we want to work with you. And, and they said, you know, we don't, you don't have to pay us. You don't have to do whatever, anything that we want to help out on. And so, uh, and I think that I found the same thing. It tends to be as true, uh, uh, with game developers and other people is, is look for people, uh, that are, uh, you, you can go out there and, and look for people who will help. Don't try to slog through stuff alone because there are people out there who have a lot of wisdom to share. And the flip side of the coin is um, if somebody else is asking for help, volunteer. Even if you don't have a lot of experiences, a lot of times you say, you know, you don't need to know everything. Uh, but, you know, uh, if you come to our set, I need somebody to to just stand here and uh, make sure that uh, – that everybody gets this form or what have you. And you can learn an amazing amount of stuff just by watching other stuff. And so, uh, so find, find colleagues, find mentors, find other people to help you. You are, whatever you're doing, you are not the only person doing it. Find people to work with. That's excellent, excellent advice. And I hope everyone out there who's working on something or thinking about working on something, uh, takes that to heart and follows up on it. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for uh, giving me part of your day and chatting with me. I absolutely appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, I thank you for inviting me on the show. It uh, was a pleasure, pleasure hanging out with you, talking about geek, geeky things. <laughs> excellent, excellent. It's it is always a pleasure talking about geeky things. <laughs> All right, and everyone out there listening, thank you so much for taking a listen to this episode of the podcast. We will catch you on the next one. Work out, nerd out. Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.